Hey guys, Luke here. Before we get started with today's show, I just wanted to make sure that you know that we have released the Mandarin Blueprint Challenge. We designed this challenge meticulously so that you can reach basic Chinese literacy in 15 days from zero. That's right, reading sentences without the aid of pinyin and just characters only. So if you're interested in signing up, it's just $7. Head over to mandarinblueprint.com slash challenge now. Enjoy the show. Welcome back to the Mandarin Blueprint Podcast. My name is Phil Crimmins, coming to you still from Belgrade, Serbia. This is podcast number 198. The reason I'm still in Belgrade after all this time is because my fiance's visa to the United States has still not been approved because COVID made everything slow down massively. And so we're chilling out here in Belgrade. It's spring is springing at the moment and it's quite nice. We're getting closer to our move to the United States. And it got me thinking about the excitement I feel to meet the Chinese community in Austin, Texas, where I'm moving. Because the Chinese diaspora is really incredible. Uh, the amount of Chinese people who gather and congregate in various cities of the world is, I mean, I don't know of any other group that has done it quite so much. And I would recommend that you find the Chinese community in your local city because Chinese people generally are super excited to speak to someone who is attempting to learn their language. When I was in China, the attitude was kind of like, we have a really tough language. I don't really expect foreigners to learn it. And so when I would speak to them, there was often you know quite a bit of uh, delight that they would feel like, oh, you've actually taken some time to really learn this language. And they feel kind of flattered by it because again, the perception their perception is that this language is really tough to learn. So for me to uh, have put in that effort, they see as a compliment, right? And it's even more true when you meet Chinese people abroad. So when they are not in China and they're maybe in your home country, even more delighted because it's a sign of welcome, right? I would highly recommend that you take some time to research where there is a local Chinese community in your area. There actually is a Chinese community here in Belgrade. They have uh, set up shop around New Belgrade where the kind of Chinatown is. And unfortunately, I don't live near there, so I don't get too much of an opportunity to head out there. But when I do, I've been delighted to talk to Chinese people here. And uh, it's fun because I get to I'll talk to them and I'll be like, yeah, so I can talk to you, but I haven't learned Serbian to fluency. So, you know, it's, it's kind of nice. Uh, I'll be like, you know, you guys are better at Serbian than I am, but it's nice to talk to you guys. And they're always super happy and curious about what I'm doing here. And I'm curious about what they're doing here. It's really fun. Uh, and so I would highly recommend taking some time to research where the Chinese communities are in your local area. Another thing I wanted to tell you guys about is that we've been making changes and improvements to our Mandarin Blueprint YouTube channel. If you go to our YouTube channel now, as of uh, March 13th, I believe it is when I'm recording this, if you go there, you'll see that the most recent eight videos are the best eight videos we've ever made on Chinese learning on YouTube. They're quite educational, but they're entertaining as well. I will release them into the podcast feed, actually. So at some point soon, you'll be getting the audio version of these videos in the podcast feed. But I did want to tell you guys about it because we're gonna be continuing to put out a lot of new and good material through our YouTube channel. We believe that more people need to understand how helpful Mandarin Blueprint is because the traditional learning methods for Chinese are counterproductive. They're actually working against your ability to get through the process of reaching fluency. 
oftentimes this is the case. And so we want more people to know about Mandarin Blueprint. We look at the different platforms out there and we say, hey, YouTube is like what we do. We make videos and we make mostly educational videos. And so we're learning how to make videos that are more for YouTube. But I promise you though, that whatever we put out on YouTube is always going to be trying to give you something of value, whether it's an insight like our Mandarin Insights newsletter, or it's a practical piece of advice about like how to, for example, uh, understand a character or understand a pronunciation, or it's going to be something where we make sure that we address one of your problems because there are a lot of problems that a Chinese learner faces. You know, how, what order should I take things in? Uh, how much should I focus on characters versus pronunciation versus uh, word learning versus trying to get comprehensible input? How much time should I spend on that? Should I learn grammar? Should I take classes? Should I use textbooks? These are all questions that uh, don't have an obvious answer. And we're going to make sure that we give you our best advice as people who are standing, you know, atop the mountain, so to speak, and help you avoid our mistakes and follow the things that we did right, or at least finally figured out how to do right. So much of Mandarin Blueprint is the fact that I felt I was let down by my mentors and teachers in many cases when I was learning Chinese. I felt that there were many moments where I thought I didn't have what it takes because the methods they were giving me weren't showing me results. And then when you're not seeing results, you naturally go, well, maybe it's me. Maybe I'm the problem. And I just want people to understand that, like, no, it's not you. If you use the right methods and you have the right mindset, you can absolutely do it. And it's, it's you know, anybody who has the commitment to the project has what it takes. Absolutely has what it takes. Because that's all it really takes if you have a good method. Keep an eye on our YouTube channel. We're gonna be putting out new long form YouTube videos and I'm personally really focusing a lot on YouTube shorts at the moment. And you guys are gonna love these because of course I'll do some of the YouTube shorts that are just about, you know, like some philosophical pieces of advice, uh, some study tips and things like that. But I'll also be doing a lot of shorts that are focused on individual Chinese characters. How can you use this character? What makes this character interesting? What are the different words you could use with this character? And this will help you wrap your head around the general meanings that these characters orbit. And nothing has made me more curious about the language than a deep dive into individual characters and understanding what they're all about. Because that deep dive, the curiosity that it builds becomes fuel for your study. It's a motivation like no other because curiosity is fun to pursue. If you're curious about, wow, these characters are really interesting. I want to know more. Then getting up and learning characters is something that you're going to be jumping out of bed to do. So my goal with these shorts is to drum up your interest in the language and be like, yo, these are really interesting. The way that the Chinese have managed to categorize the world using these different characters, these symbols that represent real things that we do in life and uh, represent real structures of the language. It fills me with such immense awe and curiosity that I know it will for you too. And so hopefully you'll feel my passion coming through in these uh, YouTube shorts and I know that you'll love them. If you're already a person who listens to the podcast, I have no doubt that you'll love them. So head over to Mandarin Blueprint's YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search Mandarin Blueprint. Subscribe. It'll help our YouTube algorithm and all that stuff. 
But I just wanted to let you guys know that this is something Luke and I are going to be focusing a lot on over the next, uh, well, I mean, indefinitely for at this point. So with that in mind, let's get into this week's comments and emails. First, we have an email from Matt. He says, I'm a linguist. Second language is Japanese. I have a Mandarin speaking partner. I studied Mandarin for two years at uni. And so I have basic Mandarin. Pronunciation is not too much of a problem. I am comfortable with all the basic grammar, but lack suitable resources for more advanced grammar. I think my biggest hurdle is vocabulary and also pragmatics, i.e. what are the kinds of things native Mandarin speakers say, not just how do you translate XYZ into English. Thanks for your time. So the things that Matt wants to know about are suitable resources for advanced grammar, getting more vocabulary, and understanding what native Mandarin speakers say. So the first premise here, I would question, because I do believe that you do have suitable resources for advanced grammar, Matt, and here's why. First, we have to establish how do you acquire grammar? Really, there's only one way that we acquire grammar, but I wanna first talk about one of the possible ways that people get caught in, I believe is a trap, because I don't think it actually works, which is to read about the grammar rules of the language. So read an explanation of how sentences are structured in the language. And this is the activity of a linguist. A linguist would totally do this. And that's why linguistics is very interesting because linguistics emerged as a result of us being so fascinated by the fact that human beings can make mouth noises to communicate with each other about incredibly complex issues. But always remember what came first though. We were already using language and communicating complex ideas before linguistics emerged. In fact, for hundreds of thousands of years longer than the existence of linguistics. So we must be clear that the acquisition of language and therefore the acquisition of grammar is something that happens sans linguistics. We do not need linguistics to be able to acquire a new language. And grammar in and of itself, the whole concept of grammar is a linguistic term for a naturally occurring phenomenon. So how do you acquire grammar? Well, there's only one way to acquire grammar. Get understandable messages into your eyes and ears, and a lot of them, right? So many, many, many understandable messages that you hear, see, or both at the same time. So you do have the resources to acquire more advanced grammar because you have Chinese speakers and media all over the world and, and written content and just all the stuff that you could want to get understandable messages into your eyes and ears. However, as I've talked about many times before, getting comprehensible input requires that you first build comprehension. If you on day one, you've never heard any Chinese before, start listening to some Chinese, you aren't going to comprehend any of it. So you have to do things that are comprehension building activities. This is learning pronunciation and learning characters, learning the top 1000 vocabulary words of two or more characters, and a little bit reading about some grammar rules. And just to clarify that last point, reading about grammar rules doesn't make you acquire grammar, but what it might do a little bit is help you recognize a pattern when you're getting comprehensible input. And if it helps you recognize the pattern a little bit faster than you would have otherwise, then it's worth doing. However, it's just important to understand that reading about the grammar rule didn't make you acquire it. I can't read about a grammar rule 
and then go output the idea, right? I need to get the comprehensible input, allow my brain to recognize the patterns that are universal across the language from the different understandable messages. And this is a natural process that we evolved to have. It's fantastic. Uh, then I can acquire grammar, but I'm not going to get it from reading about the grammar rule. Those are the four things you can do to build comprehension. And that's my advice for the next thing about vocabulary, which is that the first step to acquiring more vocabulary is to learn individual Chinese characters. If you learn individual Chinese characters, vocabulary will grow faster and faster simply because there are only seven word structures in Chinese. And if you know what the two characters mean, that is to say you're learning them individually and then you take two of the ones that you learned and you put them together, the word is often on its face perfectly obvious what it means. And this happens all the time. And certainly uh, once you reach a certain level, it happens every day multiple times. You can start to learn multiple uh, words per day naturally just through immersion if you learn enough characters, okay? Now, you can also learn vocabulary directly by looking at the word Looking at the two characters, you know, you should really only learn a vocabulary word if you've learned the two characters before, which is why the Mandarin Blueprint Method is so helpful with our optimal character learning order, but that's beside the point. If you're looking at two characters that constitute a word, we made a video on YouTube all about how you can memorize that using your past experiences, using mnemonics, using what we call living links to keep it in your short-term memory long enough to be able to see it in context of, you know, say a paragraph or a story or your immersion. And then when you see it in the context of your immersion, uh, that's when you get it for life. That's at some point you go, oh, got it. I know that word. It's in, it's a part of me now. I have acquired it. Once you get to about a thousand of those words, as long as you're still learning individual characters, you can drop the habit of learning individual words using this living links technique because the context of all the comprehensible input you're getting will be enough and the context of the characters you're learning from the bottom and the comprehensible input from the top will be enough for you to learn new vocabulary. And so that would be my recommendation for how to learn new vocabulary. Uh, head over to our YouTube page to see a video about mastering Chinese characters and a video about learning 100 words a day uh, using a technique that we call living links. Hey guys, Luke here. I just wanted to quickly tell you about our free newsletter called Mandarin Insights. Phil and I both recognize that in a long-term project like learning Mandarin, there are a lot of emotional ups and downs. So we want to make sure that we're in touch with you every couple of weeks with something that's either educational, inspirational, motivational, or all three. So if you'd like to sign up for the Mandarin Insights newsletter to have it arrive in your inbox every couple of weeks, you can do so by going to mandarinblueprint.com newsletter. All right, back to the show. Now, the final question was, how do you know what native speakers actually say? And there are two steps to this. One is to take in contemporary Chinese media, right? So sitcoms, new podcasts, especially talk shows, um, articles, comics are great for this because comics have speech bubbles, right? And the speech bubbles are meant to mimic spoken Chinese. So even if there's no recording for it, at least what you're reading is colloquial. So 
you need to immerse in contemporary Chinese media and even contemporary Chinese media that's like a period piece that's set in the past. They're not going to speak in ancient Chinese. They're going to speak in Mandarin. So even then you can pick up on a lot of stuff that native Mandarin speakers actually say. And that's step one. And then step two is, of course, to engage in conversation. And then when you engage in conversation with somebody, you see what do they naturally go to? What things do they naturally want to say? How do they tend to... Uh, get across certain ideas. Like, you know, you might say, which means, have you eaten? And it can also kind of mean, how are you? But you might notice that when you talk to native speakers, they go, right? So like, have you eaten? It's the same thing, but like, putting may at the end of the sentence, it's like a kind of a, right? Like, have you done it or not? Right? And they just drop the yo and they just say, and they don't even say ni, they just, you kind of need to talk to native speakers sometimes to get a sense of what they're going to do. And of course, no individual native speaker can represent all of China. So they also, everybody has their own individual quirks of their language and whatever. But if you have already spent time consuming contemporary media and then you engage in conversation with Chinese people, you'll get a very good sense of what you're calling pragmatics here. So I hope that that's helpful, uh, those pieces of advice for Matt and for all of you who are listening, if you run into that situation. But certainly the biggest takeaway I hope that you guys get from this is that there's only one way to acquire grammar, and that's your comprehensible input. And so on the one hand, uh, that's bad news because it means that, mm, sorry, the reading about the grammar explanation isn't going to make it be there for you when you need it. And, and, you know, the other element is that there's a lot of comprehensible input you have to get. It's a, it's mass comprehensible input. However, it's also straightforward what to do. It's keep getting input. And if you don't understand your input, keep learning characters, keep learning individual words, keep getting input. Now, because you're learning characters and words, you're starting to understand more of it. Uh, and, you know, so you can keep growing from there. Advanced grammar is going to come through comprehensible input and comprehensible input only. Next, we have Jack on It's a Word for Jal. This is the word for find, but it has a secondary usage, which is to uh, give somebody change, and it's usually referring to the exact amount. So if I say, I'm saying, here's your five RMB change. Let's see what Jack had to say. He says, guys, I can't stress enough how much I love the lesser common usages of the characters you show. I've been learning Chinese for seven years and I have never heard of please don't stop doing this. Yeah, not to worry about that. We usually include at least the top three usages. And then the other thing that you'll find, Jack, is that if you've gotten, say, the top two or three usages of a word or a character and then you get a lot of comprehensible input, you're going to pick up on any other usages naturally. And that can seem like a cop-out on our part. Like, why don't you just make sure that it's all included? And the reason is because you always want to learn based on frequency, right? So technically speaking, you could learn, you know, some really obscure usage of a character right at the beginning. But it's ultimately wasting your time because you will be in a better position to learn the fourth, fifth, sixth usages of these characters when you're more advanced, right? So what you want in the early days or in the intermediate days for that matter is the top 
one, two, or three usages of a word or character so that you're not overwhelming yourself with information that you're not prepared to deal with and you will be prepared for later. So uh, hopefully that is helpful. And um, I I am more than happy that I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled that you're finding it to be useful to see some of these things. But also I would point out that the better you get, the easier it's going to be to understand these things. Next, we have a comment from Lucas Villani on level 41 complete. He says, I just thought of that, but you don't really mention much about the Chengyu, the idioms in Chinese, and rather put a few of them here and there at times. Does that mean you believe it is unnecessary to mention them as a whole and would only make our head spin for no reason? Or maybe I'm missing a lesson dedicated to them somewhere. I'm very curious to see how you would recommend us to approach those idioms as while some of them are manageable without much trouble, some can be very obscure despite their frequency. First of all, I would say that as a principle, if you want to understand Chinese idioms, so the average idiom is four characters and it usually refers to some type of situation, some type of behavior that a person is making. You know, it's, it's just the standard idioms. Um, you know, a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush, you know, that type of thing. And so often it's not obvious why it means what it means because it's related to some ancient story, as an example. Uh, and so these are kind of the most advanced Chinese words you could come up with because they're kind of more than a word. They're like, you know, they're a phrase or, you know, there's something where there's more to it than just, okay, these two characters you know, character A plus character B equals word C. It's like, it's not as easy as that sometimes. Sometimes it's quite clear, but it depends. And there are a lot of idioms. So the first thing I would mention, you don't need even one single idiom to speak Chinese fluently. So let's just establish that right off the bat. If you want to reach fluent Chinese that impresses the pants off everyone and makes them feel like totally comfortable talking to you, you don't need a single idiom to be able to make that work. Now, there are the highest frequency idioms you're definitely going to come across in life. And so you'd want to be able to understand them. But I just want to establish that first so you understand why I say that idioms don't need to be your focus until you've basically gotten to the point of, uh, you know, 3,000 characters. You're getting comprehensible input every day. You're really established well. You've acquired a lot of language. Every time you speak, you're activating new language. And every time you write, you're activating new language. Just when you're in that stage, then you can start thinking, okay, let me think about some idioms. Now, uh, idioms are impressive to people. So, for example, uh, and, and just to get back to the point of, like, why you don't need them, take this idiom, for example. This means unbelievable. Wow. Right? Like that was an unbelievable performance. But you can, if something is unbelievable, you can also just say, Right? Or even, Right? That just means uh, hard to believe. These different ways of speaking, they express the same idea, but a Chinese person might be a little bit more impressed if you said, when you get to the later stages of the Mandarin Blueprint Method, uh, the stages in the advanced uh, course, towards the end, all we have there is uh, idioms. So we took all the idioms that are covered in the HSKs, you know, five through nine or so, and uh, or I guess it would be seven, eight, and nine in the advanced course. 
And we just put all the idioms at the end because, again, we were, we're like, hey, this isn't the most important thing for you to learn in the early days. So we'll put this in the most advanced part of the advanced course. Right. So uh, it's like every after every character lesson, we've got three idioms that we'll teach you. And the, it, again, the idioms are not necessary for fluency. So you can decide for yourself whether or not you like it and want to take it on board. And then you can also still apply the living links approach to an idiom because there are four characters. So in, in some ways that makes it easier because you have more fodder to deal with to come up with a cool little uh, mnemonic to try to remember the idiom. My conclusion is this. If you wanted to not learn idioms, that would be okay. If you do want to learn them, learn them at the learn them after you're quite advanced. Learn them with living links and learn them based on which ones you like because there are countless idioms. There are so many idioms uh, and many of them are so rare, right? That you don't, like if you, you could learn it and then never use it for your whole life. It's that level of rare. Um, but, you know, hey, I don't want to discourage anybody from taking their Chinese to whatever level they want and having an arsenal of like, I don't know, a thousand idioms that you can use at the drop of a hat is something that will will impress the pants off of Chinese people. You know, it'll make Chinese people think like, dang, this person smarter than me, right? So uh, I don't want to discourage anybody, but I also want to recognize the truth that uh, it is like kind of a bonus, as it were. All right. Thanks to Lucas for the question. I liked talking about that. Next, we have a comment from Jack on the lesson, Time to Get Real About Sentences. He says, heck, I wish I started learning Chinese like this seven years ago. My grammar would be so much better. And what I really like about Jack's comment here is that it is about comprehensible input that makes your grammar get so much better. We're not giving lots of grammar lessons. Occasionally we have a grammar lesson that points out a couple of patterns and we make it very clear, just recognize the pattern. Don't harp on this rule. Don't think about this rule over and over. The point is to recognize that grammar comes in only one way, by understanding messages and our course gets you those understandable messages as early as possible. With that in mind, that's why you acquire grammar this way. And I'm so thrilled for Jack that he feels like he's finally on the right path. Speaking of getting to the point where you are able to get to comprehensible input in a short amount of time, David Nudson left a comment on choose your challenge as a part of the Mandarin Blueprint Challenge. And he says, I'm definitely going to do the insanity challenge. I'm going to do as much as I can as soon as I can. And the insanity challenge, which is a part of the Mandarin Blueprint Challenge, challenges you to learn 125 characters and about 100 or so words in 15 days. And then at the end, we put those characters and words into fully comprehensible sentences that do not require pinyin. So therefore, you are able to get basic literacy in Chinese in just 15 days. And uh, you can do it faster. We've had some people who do it in like a few days because they're truly insane. Um, but it is, and it is a challenge to do this insanity challenge, but I'm just so excited for people like David who have just made a choice. They're like, okay, I'm going to absolutely commit to this and smash through this because if you can get all those big gains really early, you're going to have momentum behind you that will keep you going for quite some time. So I've left a link to the uh, Mandarin Bluebird Challenge sign up. It's only $7 to join and you can get to basic literacy in just 15 days. Uh, it's really, really 
Excellent. And even if you know some Chinese, it's still worth doing because by the end of the 15 days, you'll understand how we learn a character, the method we use. And if you have the method for learning a character like we have, good Lord, you will be able to learn new Chinese characters so much faster than you were before. Hey everyone, Luke here. When it comes to speaking fluent Mandarin, there are basically seven possible barriers that can hold learners back. Take our free quiz to get a personalized guide to Mandarin fluency and find out how to break through your personal barrier to fluent Chinese. It only takes a minute or two to complete. Just head over to mandarinblueprint.com quiz and get started. Now back to the show. Next, we have a really great question that I like to talk about, which is the comparison between these three words. This is a question from Jack. He says, 生活,生命 and Renshung have always confused me. And I understand this because they all kind of mean life, but they all are used in a different way. So Shenghuo, this is like a person's life. All right, this is a person's life. This is like, oh, uh, how's life going for you these days? What are you doing these days in your life? You know, 你最近生活的怎么样? How's life been lately, right? Uh, that's, it's referring to that life, the subjective experience of life from the perspective of a person. Shengming is like, we found life on Mars. It's life as opposed to non-life, right? So this is a barren planet with no life on it. The thing that we call life in the sense of I'm alive right now is your ming, right? So you might say, he wants to kill me, right? He wants my uh, life almost. And you can even say to say, save me, say like this save my life, 救命, right? So like when you're talking about the concept of life versus death, not the subjective experience of your life day to day, but life versus death or non-existence, that's 生命. Then 人生 is, uh, this is more the philosophical concept of life. So you would see philosophers talking about 人生. In fact, there are these things called the 三观, 三观, that's the 人生观, 世界观 and 价值观, which is philosophy on life, philosophy on the world, the worldview, and the uh, values, what your, what your values are. They call this the sanguan. And so, uh, how do I understand life, right? That's not talking about your subjective day-to-day -day experience, so to speak, like 生活. It's more like, what is life? You know, like I always think of that guy just like looking out at the sea, life. You know, that's kind of what I, you can associate with 人生. So I hope that that's helpful for Jack and all of you listening, comparing those three versions of life. And isn't it interesting how uh, learning a different language can cause you to think about the different elements of something that, you know, we have the same word for all of them, right? And even though Chinese recognizes, hey, there's some pretty distinct categories here. Next, we have fluorine on e-way in context. So this is a lesson where we put the word e-way in the context of a sentence. And the sentence is, 我记错时间了。我以为今天是休息日. I wrote down the wrong time. I thought today was a day off. And fluorine says, can this also be translated as, I remembered the wrong time. And yes, I think that that is fine because what is writing down? Writing something down is a memory technique, right? It's a way to just make sure that you remember something. And so you might say, I literally wrote it wrong, wrote it down incorrectly. Or it's just that you said, okay, it's going to be, uh, you know, today at four. 
and then it was actually tomorrow at four, that can happen as well, right? But either way, it's a form of remembering. And so that's an, that's an area where Chinese has one word for something that we might have multiple words for. So we'll say, I remember the time correctly. I wrote it down incorrectly. Uh, the Chinese go, well, all of that is just a form of remembering. So let's just call that all qi, right? And so hopefully that, uh, you know, because it's, it's just so fun to compare these languages sometimes and see what a uh, different, how a different perspective and a different categorization can make you think philosophically about these concepts. It's really fun. All right. Next, we have Jack on It's a Word for Pang. And he says, it's funny how China has the direct culture of saying your Pang, but they also have the Weiwan indirect culture. And that's true. So he's pointing out a cultural trope in China. I remember I was in a gym with my friend Scott and we were just changing, getting ready to go in to do our workout. And uh, this, this guy was changing next to us, this Chinese guy. And the Chinese trainer, the gym trainer, walked into the locker room, saw the Chinese guy and he said, he basically said, oh, you haven't been here for a few weeks. Look, you, your stomach's gotten fat. And Scott and I just started laughing because from our cultural perspective, you're not so direct about that issue, right? Now, admittedly, it is a gym trainer come talking to his trainee. So it's like it is a little bit understandable. But in China, they, they just don't see commenting on someone's weight as being uh, offensive in any way, right? Like there's no suggestion of that. And yet, as Jack points out, there will often be this lack of desire to say things directly in different contexts. For example, maybe business, right? So you, you know, in Western contexts, we're always like, hey, look, you're trying to make money. I'm trying to make money. Let me just be direct with you and say what I'm looking to gain from this and what I think you will be able to gain from it. It's a win-win. Let's do it. And in China, it's more like, hey, how, how about you sit down for some tea? How's your family? You know, like what's going on? Uh, you know, what a... What, what was your father saying the other day about this uh, business deal? But, you know, before we get to that, let me just uh, get you some uh, hot pot. Let's go out for hot pot. And like, you know, it's, it's, there's this kind of sense of let's, you know, let's circle the topic, but we don't want it to come across as too, uh, you know, uh, hungry for the sale or whatever. So we're going to just be very way one, the indirect way of going about it. And yeah, we'll get there. But in the process of getting there, we will build a relationship that is, you know, uh, the, the guanxi. Like they say in China that guanxi is so important. And we often look at that as a negative thing because we'll say, well, like, you know, why should, uh, why not just be direct about something? Why do we have to um, have this relationship with someone? Like, why are you getting a job because of nepotism? Like the negative view of guanxi would be like, oh, this is just nepotism, right? Uh, it's like, okay, because I have a relationship with you. But the positive way to look at it would be, look, if we're going to go into business together, that's going to affect our lives a lot. I want to make sure that I actually care about you. And so let's get to know each other. Let's understand each other's families. Let's, under, let's get, let's create a relationship and then do business because then we're connected on a deeper level. Uh, and, you know, so that's an interesting thing about um, a cultural difference between China and the West there. And but yeah, it is. Jack makes an interesting point. It's funny how like when you change the context and you say now we're just talking about human body size, Chinese people are just like, you're fat. You know, so it is it is interesting. Next, we have a question from Meredith Easel on Yangzi in context. And it's a word 
that means appearance. So I could say anything has a yangzi. For example, I could look at a building outside and say, Right, it's a really ugly building over there, right? It's a, the, the appearance of that building is very ugly. Ran is a character that we translate as essentially meaning yangzi. So Meredith asks, are ran and yangzi synonyms both meaning appearance? And the answer is no, because ran by itself is not a word. So it's it, she's just getting confused on the morpheme versus word distinction. So we've talked about this before, but a Chinese character is virtually always at least a morpheme. So it has meaning just like the un and ed in unexpected. Those two parts of the word unexpected, un and ed, have meaning. If, with, if you take them away, it, it, it changes the meaning of the word or it makes it not a word. Um, but you can't use them alone, right? They have to be connected to another word. And ran is like that. So for example, we might say uh, mang ran. So mang ran is like, uh, confused looking and, and, and disoriented. So mang is like, that's what that means. And it's like the appearance of being disoriented. Okay, here's another one. Huang ran da wu. Right? So that means to suddenly become enlightened to something. Or, or you know, I guess it could mean enlightened in general. But it, to suddenly have it, something hit you, like an epiphany, right? And huang, it's kind of that, that look of... it. Well, huang is the experience of flash understanding... And so Huang Ran would be the look of that, like how what somebody's like, oh, you know, like I've understood, right? And so Ran is often used in this way, and it helps you uh, understand how things, like how words that use Ran, which there are a lot of them, it helps you understand how they're structured. You know, Tu uh, Ran means suddenly. Well, Tu means to stick out. So if some if something's you know sticks out suddenly it's it it, it kind of you sort of figure out how that means suddenly it's like you know sticks out turan right um and so they're not synonyms because ran is not a word but ran does mean essentially yangzi see what i mean so that's the distinction that we're making there Next, we have Jack on word structure part three of eight, the verb how structure. His question is actually unrelated. Let's just see what he says here. He says, sorry if this is a bit off topic, but regarding guolai, I don't understand the deep grammar behind it. So guolai just means come here, right? Or like, yeah, so come here. Uh, for example, come to me. Why can't I say lai wo? I know that dao typically means to, but still no one says lai dao wo. Uh, I either hear slash say ni guolai or dao wo lai. And can you explain why certain structures are and aren't appropriate for this very short sentence? So first of all, the idea of lai wo, wo is not a location. You're, it's, you're not a location. <laughs> you're a person, right? So it has to be, if you're going to have a directional verb, it needs to relate to a place. Now, if you just say guolai, then it's implied that what you're saying is from the speaker's perspective, come here. And also the reason it's guo is because you're on the same general plane. If somebody was above you, you'd say xialai. If somebody was below you, you would say shanglai, come up. Uh, and so it, it, we're assuming we're on the same plane. But you do hear people say lai dao wo zhe or wo zhe li or dao wo zhe li lai. That's, that would be fine as well. Uh, and 
what we're establishing here is that there is a place. Now you can say wo and you can say wo jolly, which means the location of me. So in that case, you're saying lai dao wo jar or dao wo jar lai. Both of those are fine. Then you're focusing on the location, not the person. So that's the biggest uh, thing there. And then just since I'm on the topic, it's important to understand that everything when you're talking about these directional words has to do with who's speaking and whose perspective it comes from. So for example, if I am saying that I will go to you, I would say, 我过去,我过去,你过来, you come here, 我过去, I'll go there, right? And the reason is because it's, it's all from my perspective as the speaker. So if I'm saying to you, 你过来, then we change perspectives to your perspective. For you, it's 我过去, right? Because you're going over there, and from my perspective, you're coming here. So it's actually the same as English, but it's just for some reason people get really tripped up about this. Just remember that it's always from your perspective. And then if you're talking about why it needs to be 过来 or uh, it's you have to make sure that if you're going to say 到我这儿来 or 来到我这儿, there needs to be the location. There needs to be a here uh, added in. Next, we have a question from Meredith on ban in context. She says, regarding this sentence, 那个问题办好了吗? Uh, would a synonymous be qu question be 那个问题办了吗? Um, when I saw how, I read the statement as was that problem handled well, implying, of course, that it could have been handled poorly? Uh, is that also a possible meaning of the question? So what Meredith is, is misunderstanding here a little bit is that how is, a, is the result of ban. Ban, it means to deal with, right? So ban how means to be like basically done with it, right? Because it's not... There is a sort of implication that it was done well, but it's not, that's not the point of it. If you hao, for example, that means you've eaten enough. You're good, right? You have, you have the result of eating is hao, that you're, you're fine, right? And so hao means it's done. hao le would mean it's, it's done now. There's, it's, you know, you wouldn't really say like that wouldn't make sense because then it's not done, right? just means it's done. It's uh, it's you've gone through the process. It's now fine, and so you're good. So how is functioning not as a subjective thing saying it's good, but as a, a resultative complement in indicating that the ban uh, is good. It's done, right? It's not it's not good in the sense of like a subjective judgment versus poor. It's it's more that it the verb is done. So that's kind of how that how that works. Saying banlama, I can't see any reason why that's wrong. I just it just feels just feels wrong to me. I you know I can't look at it and go, why is this wrong and have a clear answer, but it just I it feels like somebody wouldn't say that. Um, they would probably add, you know, banhala. Yeah, it feels it feels wrong not to just just say banlama. I mean, I guess maybe you could use that if your question was It kind of has this feeling of like you were working on it, and now I'm asking if it's done. But then, if you were just asking in general, has this question even been dealt with at all? 
right? You might say, 那个问题淡了吗? Right? But it, it, it still feels a little weird. So yeah, that would be my answer there. Jack on pick a prop for xiang. He says, I want to use hell for a prop, but I'm worried that having a place for a prop will conflict with my ability to remember the place using the place system for remembering finals. Is it okay or do you not recommend it? So xia means below. So he's going for, okay, hell, because that's below, right? No, hell is down below. Uh, here's what I would say. You can still use it as a prop as long as it's like a microcosm of hell, like a little diorama of hell that you could hold in your hands and you look at it and you're like, dang, that's hell on the inside. But it's small enough that it could fit into your set, right? Uh, it could be a little thing on the floor. There's just like, oh, there's the devil sitting in his chair and there's people suffering and all that. And, uh, you know, you can tell by looking at, okay, that's hell. But it's just a little, it's small enough that it fits into your set. So um, that would be my recommendation there. Easy. Meredith on Ibien in context. Regarding the definition adverb at the same time simultaneously, when I read uh I take it to mean that the speaker is in two places at once, uh, since the act of studying at school and working at the office are happening simultaneously. Uh, is that a correct understanding of the sentence or should I not take it so literally? Yeah, you're just taking it too literally, like in the sense that it's a phase. Yeah, she says it here. Like, is this a phase of their life? It's like, yeah, exactly. That's what the person is saying. They're not saying I'm literally at the school and at work at the same time. They're just saying at this phase of my life, I'm studying and working, right? And, and just think of it like that. Like I'm studying and working. That's how we say it in English. This is how you say it in Chinese. You would say... Uh, you know, 一边一边. And it can be literally I'm doing something at the same time, like 我一边吃饭,一边读书. Right? Like I'm reading and eating at the same time. That could be true. But like, uh, if somebody says it like this, you have to derive from the context that no, they're not saying I'm breaking the laws of physics. They're saying uh, at this phase of my life. So yeah. Next, we have Kimberly Wong on Xiang in context. She says, if you say is it implied that you are you aren't going to respond right away because you need time to think it over? Thanks. So in my experience, uh, these are all saying for a moment. So I had a teacher uh, at Sichuan University. To be honest, she was actually one of my least favorite teachers. But we would ask her questions, and she would frequently go, or just and like, so it was usually just a moment, just a, a quick moment to think for a second and then go. Because that's what xiang xiang, xiang yi xiang, xiang yi xia means. It's literally for a moment. So it's not saying like a long moment. You could say, or So, is a good word for this because it's, Yiduan is longer, long enough, longer than the length of a conversation, right? So if you needed time to think something over, if you said, 请, then you would be, it would be clear to the, to the person you're talking to that 
you're not going to answer me in this conversation. Like we're going to separate and you're going to go, we're, you're going to go think about this. And that might be how you would say that. But usually when someone's saying, uh, that's just a moment. That's like a few seconds, probably. Okay. Final question of this week's Mandarin Blueprint podcast, Abigail on vocab boost. One of the words is danyuan, which is like a unit. Um, and it's a unit of like an apartment building. So the, there's a sentence. Is the sentence, 这个小区有四个单元, under the correct usage, it doesn't make sense this district has four entrances. I think it makes more sense as this district has four units. And so I would say that there's two problems with this. One is it should probably be this apartment complex has four units, but it, I understand why the translation here was sentenced because a danyuan is usually, I mean, a danyuan has an entrance and it has the number written over it in China. So like if you're going around in an apartment complexes in China, you're gonna see, you know, e danyuan, unit one, r danyuan, unit four like there's going to be these different names right above the entrance to that unit so it's like if you were like a, a delivery guy going around trying to find the unit you know you'd be thinking of it as an entrance where's the right entrance for me to go in so it's not crazy to me they would have said entrance but yeah i would say that this apartment complex has four units is probably a better translation all things considered, but it does, you know, make sense to me in that sense. All right, that concludes this week's Mandarin Blueprint podcast. Like I said at the beginning, head over to Mandarin Blueprint's YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Mandarin Blueprint maybe. I can't remember whether that's the actual one, but the point is if you just search for Mandarin Blueprint on YouTube, you'll find it and you're going to love the new content we're coming out with. So can't wait to see you there and we'll catch you next time. Thanks for tuning into the Mandarin Blueprint podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's episode and if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel. Oh, and don't forget to follow us on social media. Just search Mandarin Blueprint on all of the major social media platforms. Also, if you're ready to take your Chinese learning to the next level, consider joining the Mandarin Blueprint Challenge. For just $7, you can reach basic Chinese literacy in 15 days. Simply go to mandarinblueprint.com challenge to sign up. And finally, don't forget to check out all of the free stuff available at mandarinblueprint.com resources. Thank you again for listening, and we'll see you on the next episode of the Mandarin Blueprint podcast.